0: I, on? I am on, yay, well you may be seated, <laughs> so good to be with you today and I'm so glad if you're joining us online today, I hope that um, things are safe at your place, we are very aware of everybody that's been impacted by so much rain and um, praying for you if that's the case for you, um, need the glasses or I'm just going to make stuff up. April 8th, 1979, was Palm Sunday. And it was also the day that the newest member of our household arrived. She was appropriately named Hosanna. Hosanna was a duckling, but she thought she was a daughter. You see, our ducks continued to lay eggs while there was one sitting on a clutch of eggs that they already had. So when the first ducklings hatched, the mother duck then abandoned the remaining eggs in the nest. So my sisters and I went down to the nest and you could pick the little eggs up and give them a little gentle shake and you could hear the duckling inside. So we gathered them up And we brought them back up to our house and we got our electric fry pan and we put it on the lowest setting and got my dad's woolen butcher's apron, folded it up, stuck it in, put the eggs on top, lid on top, and we had our own incubator. And Hosanna was the first to hatch. Ducklings imprint the face of their mother when they hatch. And then they never leave her side until they're old enough to fend for themselves. So my mum was the face that Hosanna imprinted in her little ducky heart and mind. <laughs> and she followed my mum everywhere. I'm not joking. I'm talking everywhere. To the bedroom, to the dinner table, to the clothesline. In our house, we had like a, a step this big that you had to get down to go to the toilet. Little Hosanna! Hosanna! took her little tiny ducky body down the step and to the toilet. She had no concept of a closed toilet door. This was not a thing, right? You could not close the door, my mum, anyway. So for my mum, life was a little like this. Let's have a look to the screen. (laughs) That was the toilet issue. (laughs) Wow. I'm I'm not joking. That's what it was like. You know, filled with poetic revelation, David writes in Psalm 23, verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. From the message version, it says, your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. For so many of us, this scripture holds this beautiful image of the kindness of God for us. It's a promise that brings hope and strength and joy to our lives. It's a promise we hold on to and confess in the darkest seasons. And it's a truth we rejoice in, when in life's greatest triumph. So I'm going to ask Jonah and Sarah just to come and, and help me for a, a minute because I, I think it's, you know, let's visualise this for just a second. So I've got goodness and mercy. Who will I choose? Which one's which, right? <laughs> Sarah's going to be goodness because I, yeah, anyway. <laughs> All right. So here's the psalm. It says, goodness and mercy shall follow me, right? So wherever I go... I've got goodness and mercy following after me. It's like this amazing promise of God. They're good, aren't they? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so if I if I come off the stage, I've still got. I'm leaving church. Goodness and mercy are still following me, right? So wherever I go, every single day of my life, goodness and mercy are following me, which is really cool. Okay, you guys can go and sit down now. (laughs) I'll get you back in a second. All right. But how does this relate to missions? As with so many Hebrew words, the English translation simply doesn't capture the full meaning. And that is the case here. The original Hebrew words for goodness and mercy are tov and keseg. Tov is this almost ludicrously small but infinitely expressive Hebrew word and it's the word that God used when he said at the beginning of creation it is good it is tov in English rice can be good right? my very average day at work can be how was your day oh, I was good could go to a very ordinary movie and come out and say, that yeah, was good. So good does not capture the perfection of God's creation. It's blatantly inadequate. In fact, it's blatantly inadequate to capture God's broken creation, right? Good. It doesn't capture it. Tove has this fuller intent that implies something that fulfills the purpose for which it was created. And we see this perfectly expressed by Joseph when he's speaking to his brothers in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. He said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. It followed Joseph's life for the salvation of others and the fulfillment of God's plan. The word in the psalm is not goodness coming to my life to make my life sunshine and roses and little ducks, right? It's goodness coming to my life and through my life for the purposes of God in all of life's circumstances, Kesed also does not translate precisely into English. The word means more than simply mercy. Often it's translated as loving kindness, but it means giving oneself fully with love and compassion. A contemporary Jewish scholar has said that kesed is not just loving um, kindness, but it's also courage and imagination. It's a love that is not sentimental. It has the attributes of strength, steadfastness, loyalty, devotion, and it stems from covenant relationship. So the covenant between God and man, and man and God, it's never one directional because it is covenant love. It is through that God of God that we receive grace and forgiveness because of Jesus. In Psalm 51 verse 1, it says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your chesed, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. But it's also what God requires of us. In Micah 6 verse 8 he said he has shown you a man what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love, guess it, to walk humbly with your God. So let me get Jonah and Sarah back again for a second. Now we see that there's so much more than just goodness and mercy that's following my life. Now we see that we've got Tove, the goodness, the purpose of God that is to follow me and to come through me, to fulfill the purpose of God. And I've got God's love, this covenant love that now follows me wherever I go. And that means that if this is following my life, if I'm going to interact with Stu then this follows my life in that interaction, right? There's a wake to my life. It was never about me. It was always about others. There is something that follows my life wherever I go, wherever I interact for every day. Thanks, guys. You can sit down. Bring justice. Bring Jesus. It's following you. It's following each of us. Right. Yeah. Paul gives us this equally powerful image, which I love from the voice translation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 to 15, it says, Yet I am so thankful to God, who always marches us to victory under the banner of the anointed one. And through us, he spreads the beautiful fragrance of his knowledge to every corner of the earth. In a turbulent world, people are either dying or being rescued. And we are the sweet smell of the anointed one to God our Father. My life and your life was always meant to have an impact, something beautiful that brings the justice and brings Jesus to every part of the earth. When I take my faith promise card and I complete it, Hove and Kesed follow my life. They follow my finance to the lives of others. Across the world, my life now begins to express the promise of God. Goodness and mercy shall follow me. The beautiful fragrance of the knowledge of Christ spreads to villages and homes and hearts that I can never reach by myself. But what about here? What about this city? What about the homes and hearts of people I can reach? What will be the impact of my life here? In a turbulent world where people are either dying or being rescued, we are the sweet smell of the anointed One. Right here, people are either dying or being rescued. Right here, what follows my life is the very plan and purpose of God and the strength, mercy, justice, courage, compassion and goodness of God. That's not sentimental idealism, but rather purpose to be poured out. Right here... We are the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Remember that in the past you were without Christ. You were not citizens of Israel, and you had no part in the agreements with the promise God had made to his people. You had no hope, and you did not know God. Remember, without knowing God, there is no hope. And right here, in this city, in every school, there's a generation who are dying without hope. Being without Christ is not their past. It's their now, and it will be their future unless we choose to change it. In 2020, an organisation in the US did a global study of teenagers. Um, <clears throat> and they looked at five areas of their lives. Religious attitudes and behaviours, personal struggles, gender identity and relationships digital connection, and the impact and influences and guiding voices in their lives. 420 Australian teenagers took part in that anonymous online survey. And this is what they found. Let me get a slide up. Australia was the fourth most secular country in the world. The only countries surveyed that said there was a higher percentage of teenagers with no religion were China, Japan and the Netherlands. Of those who said they were Christian, by far the majority were nominal at best. Only 3% of those who said they were Christian met the very basic criteria of a committed Christian as as defined by this study. So if we have a look, those six traits were, we believe that God exists and they can have a personal relationship, believe that Jesus is the son of God, believe that forgiveness of sins is only possible through Jesus, believe the Bible is the word of God, and get this, read scripture on their own, At least once a week. And pray at least once a week. 3% of kids who said they were Christian. So in this room, there's maybe 250, 300 of us. So we're talking at most six kids. Nine kids, at most. I want you to think about that in 20 years' time. What does that mean for this nation? What does it mean in terms of the voices in this nation? Because if we look at the kids that weren't Christian, let's see what they're doing. Have a look at the next slide. Praying. Never, 55%. Attending a religious service, never, 60%. Reading any form of religious scripture, never, 71%. Having a spiritual conversation of any sort, never, 56%. They don't think about God, ever. They are without God and without hope. If we look at their mental health struggles, we'll see that they're significant. In the last three months of the teenagers surveyed, 74% said they were lonely. 60% said that they had high anxiety and 53% said they were depressed. In fact, when the survey was done, one in four said that they'd had suicidal thoughts. Yet, if we look at what happens when they engage with the Bible, we see that this has a profound impact. Loneliness drops Anxiety drops, depression drops if they read the Word of God once a week, once a week. In fact, it had a profound impact, not only on their mental health outcomes, but their gender identity, use of pornography, uh, whether or not they would go to a pastor or a leader for advice around life's big issues. Of the completely unchurched kids in Australia that responded to this survey, however, 71% of them said that the Christians they knew were kind and caring. And in fact, two out of three of them said that they might attend church if someone invited them. And if they had a personal experience of faith, for example, a prayer answered, they might change their mind. What will we do with that here in Penrith? Let's look to the screens.
1: it's been 30 years since I've been back here at this school. 87. There I am right there. I grew up with a dad who was a professional deep sea diver, so I guess for the first 10 years, we moved about in all different kinds of public schools, but when I got to high school, to Narrabeen High School, we stopped, bunkered down, dad changed jobs, and I did the whole of my high school in one place. And it was in these classrooms when I was 14 years of age that a man by the name of Neville who used to be an electrician. In fact, I think he still might be. And he would take Tuesday afternoons off and he would come in and teach kids scripture. And I was one of the kids that forgot to take in the exemption note and because I forgot it, I found myself in a classroom like this with Neville Walters teaching about 15, 20 kids, about Jesus, about the gospel, about creation, about reason and meaning and purpose to life. And it was the very first time I ever heard about Jesus, about the kingdom, about the message of Christ. And right there, right in this classroom, I prayed a prayer and it changed my life. He never knew that I prayed that prayer. What you did in 35 minutes, you explained it so clearly and so simply that as a teenage kid sitting there in that classroom, I'd never heard anything like that in my life. It was the first time I heard it and my life changed. Right. you're awesome. And I didn't didn't have a... You think about a man who was an electrician by trade who took off Tuesday afternoons to volunteer time and come in and teach scripture to a bunch of kids every year. And I can't even imagine how many thousands of children one life must have impacted over all those years. The current situation in Australia right now would suggest that scripture is on its way out. But what we need to do is decide as churches, as individuals, to do what Neville did and decide to actively engage schools, get involved in primary schools, high schools, and decide to give up some of your time, teach kids scripture. And we need to make a choice to get involved, get in there, pray for teachers, resource them, help them, do all means we can to get more people in schools teaching scripture because we need to give every child the chance to understand the gospel of Jesus and make the choice for themselves.
0: I know many of you would know Pastor Joel Bell, but if you don't, um, <clears throat> he became the lead pastor of Hillsong Church in Australia, and now he leads a missions organization across Australasia. He'd never hurt, was without God and without hope. Pastor Matt, how did you hear the gospel? When I say kids are coming into our classrooms and have never heard the name of Jesus, I'm not exaggerating. New South Wales curriculum gives 30 minutes a week for approved providers to come into school and educate children on the faith of their family. And that means for children and young people who are enrolled in SRE, We can teach the core truths of the gospel. We can share that God loves them. We can help them engage with the word of God. We can pray with them and teach them how to pray. Yet across this city, there will be children that don't have that opportunity because there's no teacher for that 30 minutes. In a turbulent world, where people are either dying or being rescued. We have the sweet smell of the anointed one. Bring justice. Bring Jesus. Bring hope. These are our kids. This is our city. Will you give them 30 minutes? Because they should be able to say with you, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Would you stand with me?